I'm Trudy Morgan Cole, and this is Shelf Esteem, the podcast where I talk to interesting people about interesting books. And all this year, I'm doing a series of book swaps where I invite on a guest, and we each read a book that the other has recommended. Today, my guest is Lori Savory, who I first came to know as a writer, but who is so many other things, a lawyer, a dancer, a visual artist, a generally creative and wonderful person. And I am so looking forward to this conversation in which we discuss the book she recommended to me, Wish You Were Here by Jody Picot, and the book I recommended to her, Small Game by Blair Braverman. Lori, I'm going to ask you to get started by telling me about the book that you read and recommended. Uh, actually, you recommended it on Facebook, and I picked I up the recommendation. <laughs> uh, Wish You Were Here by Jody. Is it Pico? Pico, I believe, Pico. is how you pronounce it, so I apologize um, to the universe and I mean, to Jody. To be fair, Jody's probably not listening to my podcast. She's probably not listening to us right now, but uh, I do admire her very much as a writer, and I do very much feel like I, but I believe it's Pico. Okay. Um, so Jody Pico, Jody Pico is a, a favorite author of mine. I have always loved how she has taken what I feel are really current topics um, and situations and questions that I think we have societally, especially in North American society, and and attaches very human circumstances to them. So it's almost like she overlays the human experience to see what what we would do as humans in those situations. And I, I, I just, I, I do find it really amazing how she can, you know, fit into other people's head spaces. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think she does it very effectively. Um, so, Wish You Were Here um, is a novel that she wrote during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's about, now I'm terrible at uh, remembering names of characters. Diana's a young woman. She um, has had her life planned out. She had a very famous photographer mother um, who was very absent in her growing up. Uh, So she decided to take her artistic talent in a different direction um, because she was artistically talented and become... um, I guess, uh, employed, she took our history and became employed at Sotheby's. That was her plan. And that's one of the things about Diana, is Diana's whole life is planned out. She knows which career she wants. She knows, you know, the age at which she wants to, you know, accomplish certain things and the time frames. She meets the perfect you know, boyfriend, a, a young doctor, um, or an intern at the time, and and they are, or maybe resident. I apologize That's if okay. I've gotten that wrong. <laughs> and you know, they fall in love, and they have the the plan. You know, it's like when can we? This this is the time frame during which he will finish his residency, and you know, she will continue to work at Sotheby's, and she will reach a certain level in her profession, and then they will buy the house, and have the children, and have the cars, and have the life, mm-hmm. and every. Everything is proceeding on on plan, on track. And the plan um, involves them taking a trip to the Galapagos Islands. And it is during that trip that Diana fully expects her her boyfriend to propose. Mm -hmm. And they are going to become fiancés. And that is completely on track uh, with respect to her, her life schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, however, she gets the, uh, as she's, just as she's getting ready, they are supposed to be getting ready to leave. Um, the um, COVID starts to rear its ugly head where they live in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
her boyfriend being a resident is seeing, you know, early signs of it. And he tells her that he thinks she could, should go on the trip herself without him because, you know, they may not get a chance to go or she may not get a chance to go. And so she goes and she has, um, it's very interesting because she's sort of by herself. She's isolated. Nothing is open. Um, she, you know, can't access Wi-Fi, which is a big thing or very, 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 mm -hmm. Reliably. And she can't go back, right? Because of lockdown. She can't She's go back. She's trapped on this Everything. island. And she, she decides that like, she gets this ferry to the small island and all the other tourists are leaving. Mm -hmm. And she decides to, you know, it's only going to be a couple of weeks. She was going to be there a couple of weeks anyway. That's what she yeah. thinks. And so she can't leave. Um, the hotel is not open. None of the restaurants are open. She has nowhere to stay. Like I said, can't get reliable Wi-Fi. And... Um, on her first day there, she's trying to figure out what she's going to do. She's hungry. She has no food. She can't get any food. And uh, she sees this turtle rescue, and there are apples on a tree. And she reaches, she tries to reach in to get one because she's starving. And this man stops her. And he's pretty abrupt, and he's a local. And, you know, it starts that immediately, immediately, immediate dislike, very strong dislike of this person. And over the course of her stay there, she meets a, a young teenager who happens to be this man's daughter and um, his grandmother, who puts her up in an apartment that used to be his and feeds her and <laughs> lends her his T-shirts and, and all those kinds of things. But um, she realizes that um, the daughter, you know, is, is in emotional turmoil um, she's discovered some things about herself and her sexuality. She's afraid to tell people. Um, she was supposed to be going to school on the mainland, but um, because of... Uh, she fell in love with a, a, a classmate who was also the daughter of the people she was staying with on the mainland. Her mother is also taken off, um, so the only person she has is her father, and that relationship is pretty fractured. And Diana, you know, and this young woman, um, you know, they, they start to talk she can you know relate they can relate to each other but she's also being shown the island um again i'm terrible with the names but she's being shown the island by this man and um uh you know she's gabriel's his name um gabriel is showing her his island he's sharing with her um his past of um he was a tour guide and he his father uh there was a diving accident involving his father and so he never he felt responsible so he he discontinued that career and and you know so it's 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 very uh, she she's discovering things about the people around her and in doing that she's discovering things about herself um and because she doesn't have reliable wi-fi she is not able to communicate very well with Finn, her boyfriend. And so she is getting emails from him talking about how awful it is at the hospital and how people are dying and how much of a struggle it is for him. Mm -hmm. And she she can't she can't seem to to sort of email back or she is emailing back. She, so she finds these postcards and she's writing these postcards and she's sending them back. And she realizes things about their relationship. Mm during the course of all this sort of self-discovery 
and being in this completely different place and having to rely on herself and you know being in a situation where all the best laid plans mm. have gone you know yeah have gone yeah wrong. And she's always been a person who's so uh, so right? into having everything planned yeah and she starts to realize that maybe the plan that she had for herself is not the plan, the best plan for her. Mm. And we should stop the recap yes, there. Yes, I was just going to say. We're going to get into spoiler territory. And I will say with both these books, I think spoilers are really important. Yes. Particularly with Wish You Were Here. So we'll, we'll discuss them a bit. <laughs> yep. And then there'll be a clear point in yep. the in the podcast at which we'll say spoilers after this point. So if you've decided mm-hmm. you want to read it, then you know we yes. won't spoil it. Because I, I think this has a very important uh, Yes, and I will say she, she does, her and Gabriel do fall in love, the man in the Galapagos. And uh, so that's a big, you know, big thing for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I love how Jody Pico tells a story. And so, like I said, I very much felt like I was in her headspace and I could understand. I'm much older than this young woman, but I could understand that feeling. And when you're that age of mm. feeling like you can plan it out. Yes. And yeah. it can all turn out exactly the way you've decided it's going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when it starts to work out that way. Yeah. Um, and, and then to be totally shaken up from that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just, mm-hmm. I really love how Jody unfolds that story mm-hmm. and the, the setting of this completely foreign, not just foreign to Diana, but foreign to most of us, yes, you know? So yeah, there's yeah. there's things that she uses that learning about that physical environment and learning about the history of that environment, learning about the different things there, she uses that very much to to tell the story of Diana's transformation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I love this book. I was really glad you recommended it. I have never read a Jodi Pico book. She's <laughs> one of these writers that I've always been aware of and always been like, oh, I should probably pick up something by her and read it, but I never have. And I think you've recommended a few others mm-hmm. in, the, in the past of hers. Um, so, But this was the first Jodi Pico I'd read. Um, um, some of the thoughts I have about it have to do with the ending, so I'll save those right. till after we talk about, about spoilers. But even just from the beginning, the thing that struck me the most, and there's been a lot of conversation with some of the other episodes of this podcast, particularly ones that Emma and I have done, about the idea of pandemic novels, mm. writing either during or about yes. COVID. Um, and I, I made the observation, I think I might have posted it on Facebook when I was reading the early chapters of this book, that for I feel like for our generation and and mm-hmm. probably those younger than us, um, even more so than like the nine eleven attacks, the COVID, the beginning of of the COVID shutdowns, is kind of the defining moment that you'll always remember. Yeah. Where were you? You know, like like when where were you when JFK was shot? But that was before our time. You know, where were you when when you when you were sent home from work for the last time before COVID, or when you had your last normal mm-hmm. you know get together? And when I realized that the opening chapters of this book are set in March 2020, I just like that's for the rest of my life. That's going to be a visceral reaction for me if I pick up a novel. Mm-hmm. And it's set in that time period because you know what's coming. You know? I remember seeing, and I believe we saw it together, we saw a play in which the yes. characters were all at a dinner party and they were making a plan to take a trip March 2020. And we all looked at each other because <laughs> you're right, that's the defining. And I think, you know, yes, 9-11 was a time of, you know, fear and anxiety and what's going on. But that fear and anxiety lasted a few weeks, yeah, yeah, maybe at best. Uh, most of us within a few days knew 
we were safe. There wasn't yeah, anything that didn't was likely to happen. Yeah, it didn't impact us directly. Yeah. Whereas, whereas COVID, obviously, there was so much uncertainty for so long, and we still have yeah, some. So, yeah. You know, the impacts yeah. are still with us. So, yeah. yeah. And, There's and also, course, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, no, okay. but there was also her, her relationship with the person who is obviously Yoko Ono. Very clearly okay. a stand-in for Yoko Very Ono, the fictional character Yoko that she's, and, she's negotiating the sale of her artwork, yes, right? And yeah. that's and the tie-in, um, you know, with the painting, the yes. Toulouse-Lautrec painting. And, you know, again, like Jodi Pico has a talent for like taking things that you think are unrelated and pulling them all together at the mm. end that just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. And of course, being set in New York City, which was so much, you know, in those early months of the pandemic, yes. really the epicenter of so much of that, you know, uh, illness and death and, and a big bustling city so eerily shutting down. Uh, yeah, I thought mm. it was just an excellent hook to start a story and, and, you know, for all of us. Unless, I guess there's people who would open that book and be like, I don't ever want to read about the pandemic i lived through it but i think for most people yeah it touches a chord and you're mm -hmm. kind of like this is you know this is so this is so interesting so i love that about it uh i love the galapagos setting because i love a book that takes me to a place mm -hmm. i've never been before um and it was great uh, i just love that idea because that whole you have that whole uncertainty that we all lived through in like march april of 2020 and you know it's so weird everything shut down but then she's doing it not at home in her familiar surroundings <laughs> but in a place so far from home where she doesn't even know what things would be like there normally and it's not normal because everything is shut down and the stores aren't open and mm. she doesn't you know she doesn't know who to talk I was, it really really bothered me that she had prepaid for this vacation <laughs> the, the hotel was closed and never at any point even after like <laughs> things started to reopen she got friendly with the people in town she never got a refund for her money <laughs> oh that bothered me so much uh, but yeah you know there's just this whole sense of being um just being set adrift and mm. and having to figure out for some particularly for a person and I relate very much to Diana in this book because I am a person who loves to have everything planned and have a plan for everything and say this is how my life is going to go um, so for someone like that to then be in a situation where everything is uncertainty mm -hmm. and everything that you counted on including that connection to to home and the boyfriend and everything is all gone and she's left on her own resources uh, I really really found that an intriguing mm. intriguing setup and I, I liked what uh, what the author did with it and anything else i'll say about what she did with it i will say <laughs> about spoilers uh, but it was the, it was mainly those two things the sense of it being a pandemic novel written and in this case set in the pandemic and that idea of a woman being left to her own resources mm -hmm. that made me think of the book i recommended small game by blair braverman so i guess i'll do a little intro of that book um blair ba braverman is an author that i love although this is her first novel i've only read her nonfiction before because she hasn't written well if she hasn't published fiction before uh but i know her best for her internet presence because she has uh, a very famous twitter account and now i think it's on patreon because you know twitter is all going to hell in a handbasket um about her sled dog team and posting her pictures of her dogs and her little um, sort of essays that she writes uh, about about life with the sled dogs is just fascinating to me. She's a great writer. Uh, she's a really interesting person. She's done the Iditarod. Uh, her husband, uh, who is a trans man, has also separately done the, the Iditarod. They both did the... the um, the TV show Naked and Afraid, which is something I would never watch in, in real life because I hate reality shows, but I've read both of their articles about having done Naked and Afraid and the reasons why they did it and 
why it was interesting. I just she's just such an interesting person to me. Um, I've read her uh, memoir, Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube, uh, which is about mushing in uh, in, in Alaska, uh, among other things. It's about her whole life. I've read a lot of her articles. She writes really great articles for Outside and other magazines. And so when I knew she was writing a novel, I was like, you know, people who are really good nonfiction writers, it doesn't always translate well into writing mm -hmm. a novel. But at least I I, I wanted to read it um, because I knew I, I would find it interesting. And I did. I really love this novel. I read it very quickly. It was a real sort of devouring, like, two nights novel for me. Um, and I'm not surprised at all that she used her experience of having been on a reality show and having done a lot of wilderness survival stuff to write about a character who is on a wilderness survival show. So the premise of this novel is that the main character, Mara, um, the other thing I thought was an interesting contrast is Mara is almost the diametrical opposite of Diana in Wish You Were Here, in that she is a young woman <laughs> who also is living with a boyfriend, very much does not plan her life. She had a very uh, unhappy, unstable upbringing. She feels like she's kind of drifted through life, um, not really making decisions, but letting things happen to her. Um, she has ended up working for as a guide for an outdoor expedition kind of uh, company. Mm -hmm. And when she is tapped to appear on this wilderness survival reality show, uh, she does it basically because she thinks if she makes it to the end and gets the money, she'll be able to leave her boyfriend, who she doesn't like and doesn't want to be with, and figure out some kind of direction for her life. So she's this very aimless, directionless young woman. She hasn't really, I don't think she's even really gotten a proper education because her parents mm. were like doomsday preppers who didn't mm -hmm. send her to school. And pretty much the only skills she has are wilderness survival skills. So the premise is that she and a small group of other people are uh, dropped into the wilderness. And this is also where the pandemic writing element comes in because Blair Braverman wanted to set this book someplace more exotic. She wanted to be like on a South Sea Island or something like that, um, or someplace in a year, so some someplace with jungle. But when she got into writing it, it was 2020. It was lockdown, and she <laughs> couldn't travel to do the research she wanted to do. So she right. said, "Well, I'll set it in. It's like the North Woods of like Wisconsin or Minnesota, Minnesota or something, which is where Blair Braverman lives herself." So she said, "I'll write it in the area that I know, so I don't have to travel to do right. the research." So it ends up being in in the north uh, northern United States in the woods. Uh, they are. Um, these five five or six people, I think, at the beginning are uh, sort of put in the wilderness and it's like, you're here, you have to make camp, you have to do all these ridiculous little challenges, to, but the main thing is you have to survive and learn to work together. And then, I mean, there's not... I, it's interesting to me because I have such uh, strong opinions about reality TV. Like, <laughs> I really, really, really hate most reality TV. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's interesting how seldom we interrogate people who do like it. Um, the reality behind reality TV because, well, like the contestants on the real reality show that Blair was on, Naked and Afraid, there's always cameramen there. Like, yes, <laughs> you're dropped off in the middle of the wilderness and right. you're supposed to survive alone, but at the same time, there's a team of cameramen and they get to go back to their base camp and eat a meal mm -hmm. at the end of every day. And, at, you know, you question at what point do they intervene? Um, so that's kind of the setup here. Uh, Mara is in this survival group. She has opinions about all the other people in the group as a sort of motley collection of characters. And uh, she is very much aware of the fact that they are constantly being uh, recorded and, mm -hmm. and the camera people may interfere or may, they're not supposed to interfere, but sometimes they do. Uh, and I always think that's so interesting with these reality shows. Did you ever watch, and I'm gonna blank out on the name of it, did you ever watch the reality show that was done here in Newfoundland? 
where they were supposed to go to, uh, well, they did go to a little house in an outport and supposed to live like people no. would have lived 150 years ago. Oh my gosh, it's priceless. It probably still exists. It's really good. Probably still exists <laughs> on, in the depths of the it. internet somewhere. Um, but I knew slightly one of the one of the people who was on it, which mm -hmm. was why I watched it. Um, and at one point in it, uh, somebody got injured, you know, chopping wood mm. with an axe or something. And it was a wound that they were afraid was going to like get infected mm. uh and so they they just took him to the hospital in clarenville and it was like <laughs> it was like okay Which well, would not have happened yeah exactly clearly we're going to break the the premise mm -hmm. of reality so that this person doesn't lose an arm or a leg or whatever and you wonder like how often does that happen in these you know big budget reality mm. shows there's got to be times when people have to be taken out to get medical attention or uh, one of my I, one of my guilty pleasures and i don't like no pleasures are guilty no, no pleasures true. are guilty that's a one of my of pleasures <laughs> and i don't like reality tv show either but i i shows either but i, I recently discovered my kitchen rules it's an australian cooking competition and i am a lover of cooking competition <laughs> shows uh -huh. and my husband comments that not he used to think it was because i loved cooking which i do but it's also because i love the competition and so I often am questioning, well, you're supposedly in your kitchen by yourself, but there's obviously camera <laughs> yeah. people there. And, um, you know, but I also find that sort of, you know, that overlay of how much of this is editing and yes. how much of this yeah. is real. And I like the fact that Blair Braverman sort of addresses that. Yeah, she really addresses, you know, how, how much is contrived and set up uh, to to create certain moments mm. for, for the camera and that sort of thing. Except now that I think of it, the only reality shows I've ever watched are ones that in one way or another are connected to Newfoundland. Like, I've watched a couple of episodes of Rock Solid Builds. <laughs> I watched the first episode of that one, was it Coldwater, Saltwater Cowboys okay, or Coldwater yeah. Cowboys with the... the, the and yeah. even then, I'm like... Yeah, they definitely set up this moment to get this bit of, you know, this bit of pathos or this bit of drama out of it, yeah. you know, that they wouldn't get in and real life. And one of the big dramatic moments in MK era, My Kitchen Rules, was one of the contestants was diagnosed. They're, they're couples that uh -huh. compete. Um, they might be friends, they might be married couples, whatever. But one of the contestants, one of the couple of the couples, uh, the woman, the wife was diagnosed with a with an eye condition, like a vision condition that could, you know, basically go make her blind mm -hmm. you know at any at any moment oh and they possibly made it sound more dramatic than it was but um it was to the extent that they had to ask them to discontinue because um you know it would posed a risk to everybody so a similar thing it's like you know it's not do or die to the end because they obviously had yeah. to take into consideration all of that and so again it kind of relates to yeah the, and to that's that novel. that's the whole the, the whole premise uh, underlying small game, which I think happens about halfway through the novel, is that one day the contestants wake up and the camera crew and the producers and everything are just gone. They're not there anymore. They've disappeared. They've left them alone. And now what was a survival reality show has turned into actual survival. Mm. And that's that's sort of the whole premise of, of this novel. Um, and I think... I think of it as a pandemic novel, even though it is not set during COVID and COVID is never mentioned because I know Blair was writing it during COVID lockdowns. I know she had COVID herself and was quite, quite sick at one point. Um, and I think even though she had always intended if she wrote a novel, it was going to be about, about wilderness survival and probably about reality TV. I think it's colored and impacted as probably everything that was written during that mm -hmm. time was. Um, by that experience of isolation and illness because again it's really playing on that idea of what do you do when you're 
really cast upon your resources to survive. And in the end, I think there are only three of them from the five or six that start out. Um, uh, and again, I won't say too much until we get past mm -hmm. the spoiler point. Uh, but there is Mara, there's Ashley, the young woman who uh, Mara, I think, initially dismisses as being very silly because she's only come on there for fame because she wants to become famous and being on a reality mm -hmm. show is a good way to do it. But they actually end up not just getting along but falling in love with each other and having a, having a relationship. And then this older man who is the sort of guy that you know in his real life he definitely voted for Trump, although she never actually <laughs> says that, but is like uh, kind of uh, sort of a hardcore, a bit of a hardcore survivalist, and like I know how to do all this wood stuff mm. and he is actually you know sort of a very decent person underneath that that very uh very flinty exterior and they're the three that for quite a bit towards the end of the book end up having to survive together so that whole idea of survival what it means to survive not just on the most basic physical level of like you know catching fish and finding right. berries to eat but you know for who you are as a person you know i think both of these books are about women in very difficult situations, discovering who they are and, mm -hmm. and discovering what resources of their own they can draw on. Mm -hmm. So with my recommendation, what did you think about Small Game? I did enjoy it for a lot of the same reasons I enjoyed Wish You Were Here. Um, you know, I certainly, yeah, I mean, I felt very much like Mara was, was somebody who was adrift. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and adrift in a different way. Like, she had all the skills, but she had no plan. Yes, right? yeah. Right? Yeah. This sort of came up as a result of, like I said, she didn't even expect to get... She, her, you know, they, her and her boyfriend thought he was going to be the one yes, picked, yeah. and then she was, you know... And, like I said, very much no plan other than if I win this, um, you know... And, and I found that interesting because of all of them, she seemed to, to have perhaps her and this other gentleman that you referenced but you know she certainly seemed to have the most survival skills of yeah. anyone right yeah. so she but even she kind of doubted whether or not uh she would get through it and i think that was a bit of the sort of this is reality tv show so i know how this kind of works mm -hmm. um and you know I, I i did i felt very much like it was it was in a similar way a woman, young woman, finding herself, um, and and recognizing, I think, like recognizing skills that she had beyond the sort of literal, how do you forage for things yeah, to eat, yeah. um, you know, because she she has to draw on her emotional resources and you're right like she because of her upbringing i don't think she even really was aware what those resources yeah, were and yeah. i think at the end of the day they were probably more crucial to her surviving yes, than she yeah. would have appreciated or realized um yeah so i mean i i really enjoyed it i and it is interesting because i think both of these books are about the pandemic in different ways. Yes. Because they're all about just being put somewhere where you have no idea what the rules are. Yes. Or you might it. have some that's skills, it. you might have some knowledge, you might have some ability to make the plan or get figure out what to do, but the initial experience is mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen next. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think all of us felt that. Yes. Even though Small Game is not set around the pandemic it's not the subject is not the pandemic it very much gave me that sense especially and it was really interesting to read them both you know sort of 
you know, with each other because of that. Yeah, that really strikes that chord that, you know, we were all put in that mindset. So for both of these books, you know, there are young women who are at a different stage of their life than I am. I have been in that phase of my life. But really, it was easy to relate to them because mm-hmm. we all felt that way in yes, that time yeah, span. Yeah, that uncertainty. Yeah. Right? I think I think that's that that really taps into what it is that I thought these books had in common with mm-hmm. each other and why I think of them both as pandemic novels, even though only one is explicitly set during the yeah. pandemic. Just, yeah, like you said, being in a place where you don't know what the rules are and having to figure out... Uh, and, and again, you've got one character who loves to know what the rules are and thinks she can mm-hmm. do anything, and another character who is like, I have this one tiny skill set, and that's all I've got. And other mm-hmm. than that, I have no plan for my life. Uh, but they're both really in that same situation, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, and with Small Game, too, I think for me, like, I am, I am, I, I would not consider myself a survivalist. Like, I certainly have lots of problem-solving skills. I'm probably more similar to Diana than Mara. In that I, I feel like I, I you're the kind the of survivalist who your, your, your definition of camping is like a four-star rather than a five-star hotel. <laughs> not quite. Well, but. we kind of, you know, this is kind of a joke because people say, oh, if you tried camping, you would like it. And I'm like, no, I spent my entire childhood camping. Yeah. And uh, I don't particularly enjoy it. But um, I've always joked that my great skill, should there be some kind of, you know, apocalypse, would be finding the person who could actually look after me. Exactly. I would cook for them. I I can cook for you, but you're going to have to go out and get the rabbits. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, So I think for part of me reading that book was, you know, just thinking, like, what would I do in that situation? Like, I would be like Ashley, whereas I would not have a clue what to do and, you know, would be very reliant on other people. And that sense of at any second, something can go so drastically wrong. Yes. You know, because, you know, you fall out of a tree or, you know, something like that. So, you know, I, I, I really... That was a that was an interesting feature of that book for me was because, you know, Mara was more more capable than I would be in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so I was always having that sense of dread. And it might be a little bit of being a mother and you always have that sense of dread oh, that yes, anything yeah. could go wrong at yes, any minute. The sense of dread that accompanies you all the time from the time you have a child. Yeah, but yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I want. I think we need to talk about the endings of both books, okay. or really, in the case of which you were heard, the whole last third of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to give a clear spoiler warning. So if you have listened thus far and you have thought, um, I would like to pick up and read either of those book, these books, uh, but you hate spoilers, you should definitely stop listening now. And I think this is particularly true for Wish You Were Here. If you do not want mm-hmm. to be spoiled, I, th- I think remaining somewhat spoiler-free about the ending is really essential to experiencing that book the way that the writer intended it to be experienced. So if you don't like spoilers and you think you might want to read either of these books spoiler-free, thanks for joining us. You can shut off now. Now I want to talk about the twist in yes. Wish You Were Here because I was absolutely gobsmacked and Me was too. like, I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> in fact, I kept flipping back pages going, did I miss, did I miss something? something? Yeah. I'm looking at the page numbers going, oh my God. And yes. Yeah. And, 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 Jodi Pico often has some kind of a twist. Okay, and in where her I books. hadn't read her read her before, I was not expecting plausible. that. Yeah, they're yeah. very, very, very plausible twists. Okay, right. So there are things that do make sense, but there are things that literally make you go. <gasps> 
What? Well, it sure did in this one. So yes. to set it up a bit, there's there's a scene where she and, is it Gabriel, the yes, guy on the island, right. are, I think, scuba diving together. They are, yes. She's too far out in the water. He's coming to try to rescue her. She's drowning. Yeah. She's underwater. She thinks she's about to die. End of part one, beginning of part two, wakes up in a hospital, yes. and we think, she, I, you know, I thought, oh, she's in a hospital after being rescued yes. after this drowning incident. No, she's in a hospital in New York. Yes. She's, she has covid she was there all along. She never went to the Galapagos. None of the entire first two-thirds of the book, most of it, ever happened. Ever happened. So except was, in her mind. So in the, yes, so um, she finds out that the day before she was supposed to go, she came home from work um, and she basically collapses when she's brushing her teeth. He gets her to the hospital and she's, you know, in a coma, you know, or unconscious for, for quite a while. And then as she comes to, and, and it, you know, the, 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 there's connections back at one point while she thought she was on the Galapagos. She had a dream about, about Finn, her boyfriend, you know, being all masked and everything. And some people talking to her, you know, him talking to her, telling her to come back. And, you know, she thinks this is just a guilt dream because she has slept with Gabriel. And, you know, it turns out that this was actually her almost coming, becoming conscious. And then, and so, you know, it does talk about her recovery, her physical therapy, the emotional impact, you know, the fact that she, you know, is, is not able to even be in the company of people very much or be touched by people. She, she, she hasn't, doesn't have enough strength to even get to the washroom by herself. Um, but also the trauma for her of she was she believed that she was where she was mm -hmm. and that she met it was the people so real to her like so real like to six her six weeks of her life and when she tries to tell people about it they think it's just you know a dream or sort of the the result of the illness or medications and she's just absolute oh the other thing that she thinks happened while she was on the galapagos is that her mother uh, with whom she did not have a very close relationship. Her father had died when she was relatively young and her mother has dementia. And so she has, Diana um, ensured that she was in a, a care facility. Um, but Diana believes that her mother died, mm -hmm. that her mother died from COVID. Uh, she saw this happen on FaceTime, you know, she, yes, they yeah. FaceTimed her from, and uh, when she, when she comes you know, two, I guess, from COVID, she realizes that her mother is, she thinks at first that her mother is still is dead, but she finds out that her mother is alive. And so she starts to go visit her mother. So once she gets well enough to go back and live in her and Finn's apartment, um, he's still obviously working at the hospital quite a bit. He is terrified that she's going to get sick or something's going to happen to her because he's already almost lost her. Um, and, you know, she is trying to find her way. And she's trying to find her way physically, but she's also, so she she's going to visit her mother surreptitiously. And, and there's a little sort of screened-in porch at the, at the care facility where her mother will come out and speak to her. But it's also, you know, Diana begins to question the whole plan, you know, yeah. and um, 
her whole relationship with Finn and you know he he proposes and she realizes that this this plan that she had set out is just not not for her this isn't what she wants after this isn't life she wants after all yeah and and you know she has a really great conversation with um, Ito, is it? Tori Ito? Oh, the, the, the Yoko Ono the Yoko stand-in, Ono. Yeah. Um, you know, about that and how, you know, she didn't, things didn't go as she planned either or weren't going to go as she planned either and she decides not to sell this famous painting. And, you know, um, but again, it, you know, it's that idea of having that glimpse into another world. Mm. And so at the very end, Diana does go to the Galapagos and she everything is different nothing is as it was uh in her first experience i guess, i don't like to say dream because it yeah. feels very disingenuous to the character's experience but um you know nothing nothing is as she quote unquote experienced it until she goes to uh you know reach in in the turtle rescue and, and rescue a little turtle is turned over and the gabriel stops her um, so he's real. He's real. Thank goodness. <laughs> Although and she finds out that he was real because she yeah. looks at her guidebook and she says, oh, I must have just put this all together from my imagination. Things she read in the guidebook yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you feel, of course you feel a sense of relief that, yeah, it wasn't all, um, you know, there was, there, was some, there was some purpose in all that. Um, but, you know, it is one of the just amazing things about this book and Jodi Pico is, is well known for her research as well, so you you can trust that she's a writer who's looked in, you know, who's who's researched the actual experience of people who've had COVID, who've treated people with COVID, people in the hospitals, and so you know, and there's there's also um, Diana finds out that there are quite a few people who had COVID who had these types of experiences, yeah, or or I think there's some like even before COVID, people yes. were in comas for other reasons. Yes, come back and yeah. have this like no, I lived a whole other life. Yes, so and there's I, this man who yeah. had a family and he keeps looking for this keeps trying wife to find and family. Them. Yeah, and he was yeah. only he was in a car accident and he yeah. was only out for a matter of of minutes, maybe hours, but he lived like years with this within this woman, whole other got life married, mind, had a yeah. child, and you know, and he's totally lost. So you know, he can certainly relate, and you know, I. I think that's again that's a great metaphor it's like for so many of us the the pandemic made us rethink the life that we thought we had yeah 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 i think that's you know? true and i think that's you know it's a dramatic way to do it but uh, but mm. it does fit in with that um so as a reader did you like just narratively did you feel okay with that twist with the oh the whole last couple of hundred pages i read didn't actually happen or did you feel like the rug had been pulled out from under you at all. <laughs> I, I, I felt a little bit like the rug had been pulled out from under me, but I felt like that helped me experience it from Diana's perspective because mm. that's how she felt. Yes, yeah, you're definitely in her head and in her experience. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't, th like, I don't think having done it any other way could have... Re in my mind really given you that sense of it was real it yeah. was real because we were experiencing it yes as, as real. it was real um and and when i and, and i i guess i trust her enough as a writer that i went along that mm -hmm. path and i felt like it really was 
valuable to the story that she wanted to tell, which was yeah, this woman, yeah. this young woman's transformation. I think, I mean, I definitely had, to, and I don't, of course, again, I don't have the experience of having read a lot of her books, so I probably don't trust her as much as a writer. There was an element of, wow, I feel cheated. I feel you've given me a couple hundred pages of <laughs> yeah. developing this setting and developing these characters, Gabriel and his daughter and his mother, and they are real people, and Diana's mm. interacting with them in a very real way, and oop, and I woke up and it was all a dream. And of course, it's much more complicated than the I woke up and it was all a dream ending but there it was a bit of that like oh my gosh this is you know the, this this is upending my expectations but I think now that you say that that's true like if she wants us to enter into the experience that this woman is having with this you know uh, alternate experience dream hallucination whatever you call it that's so real to her while she's unconscious then you have mm. to do that to the reader and you know yes I feel cheated but I guess kind of the point Diana feels cheated too she right. feels like she had this whole other life and these whole other relationships that aren't real so it's very you know it was jarring as a reader mm -hmm. but it was also very cleverly done I think I have issues with her dumping Finn <laughs> ah okay because I I really, really liked Finn, mm -hmm. first of all. I thought he was a great boyfriend, heroic doctor <laughs> during the pandemic, stood by her side, mm -hmm. came by her. I thought it was a neat touch that the uh, the emails that in, her, in mm -hmm. her dream life she was getting from him describing conditions at the hospital was actually him sitting him by her bedside her, while yeah. she was unconscious and telling her what's mm -hmm. going on. Uh, Finn's so sweet. He didn't des I didn't think he deserved to be dumped just because she wanted to change her, her life. When, throughout the first part of the book, when it was clear there was an attraction between her and Gabriel, I was like, girl, don't do it. Don't sleep with this random tour guide on this remote <laughs> island at the bottom of the world when you have a perfectly good doctor boyfriend waiting for you back. But have you in not York, ever so been in the situation where, you know, there was somebody either that you were in a relationship with or that was attracted to you and you knew it? And they ticked all the boxes, but they just were not it. Hmm. And I very much felt like, I mean, I liked Finn, too. And I think she liked Finn. Yeah. But... I you guess know, that comes out of the question was, of was, they were not it. What is it for each the, person? Yeah. But, you know, I think he was very much also, I think she recognized that he was very much part of the plan. And he yes. can, you know, he can be the right person, but just not the right person not, for her. Yeah, that's and true. And so I did kind of feel like, yeah, that made sense. I think it was maybe even not as much the person that he was as, yeah, the life that he wanted was the yes. life that she had realized she didn't yes. want. And Finn wasn't going to be swayed from that. He still wanted that mm. life. So she has to go in search of something different. It's interesting because after reading both of these books, I just, like within the last week, read... Um, another book, Improbably Yours by Carrie Ann King, which is much lighter. It's not quite a romance, but it's almost romance-ish. Um, but very similar setup at the very beginning to um, Wish You Were Here in that Blythe, the main character of that, is approaching her 30th birthday. She is with the on paper perfect boyfriend mm. she's about to interview for the perfect job and realizes that she doesn't want any of it and the the she also goes to an island actually but the series <laughs> of events that leads her there and what happens is very very different um but in that one the boyfriend alan kind of is a jerk and mm. you're kind of like very early on i'm on board with whatever <laughs> else Blythe is going to do in this book mm -hmm. she needs to dump that dude um because he's not necessarily a horrible person but so obviously wrong for her and i think finn was just so kind to diana mm -hmm. and kindness to me is such an absolutely vital value right. that even right to the very end i was like oh no she's not i mean she might want to change everything else about her life but she's not going to dump this wonderful yeah. man and then she did and i was like yeah that's real life sometimes but i think that's an easy out for a writer to make the, the, the boyfriend a jerk. So it, you it go, is. thank it's, goodness you recognize Yes, that. this one's a lot more to morally me, gray. To me, this is a lot more, more like, 
this young woman realized that the life that she had set up for herself yes yeah. was not the right one and i mean the interesting thing was that she comes out of that experience even though it wasn't again quote unquote real she realized that she was resourceful she was adventurous she was more like her mother yes than she yeah, thought than she realized and yeah. finn was wanting to wrap her sort of in the bubble wrap and make mm -hmm. sure that nothing happened to her and part of I felt her transformation was that she was ready to go off plan, off guidebook, and just find out what life was going to be about. Yes. And yeah. I don't think she could have done that and stayed in a relationship with him. With no, him. no, because he was definitely not at that place. So I, yeah, yeah I could kind of see that for the sure. The thing that pissed me off with Small Game, the one thing that I had the most difficulty with uh -huh. was that no one... Well, they, I think they sort of allude to or she sort of suggests that maybe someone did go looking for them or something. Mm -hmm. But I just that was the thing that made me sort of the most struggle with that one. The most was no one. They just people. They just left them there. There's, like, yeah, there's no explanation within the book. Of yeah, what happened there's in no the outside explanation. World. I mean, they yeah. give this again. They allude to there were lawsuits and there was this and there was yeah. that. But I mean. Like, I find it hard to believe that all of the crew would have left them there and nobody would have said, this is wrong. Yeah, yeah. You and, know? Or at least that, that wasn't explained to somebody. It that wasn't is, explained yeah. and I was like, that, that, that I have a problem with. That is the number one complaint I've seen people have about this book because yeah. when the crew all disappears, of course, the, the survival, the, the, the mm. contestants have a whole lot of theories. You know, is this just part of the game? Are they, you know, are there still, because there are yeah. still uh, automatic cameras set up, right. set up yeah. around that are working for a while. So maybe this is just all part mm. of the game to see how we react to this. Uh, maybe this is happening Maybe that, and they kind of fall on. Well, maybe it was just a huge colossal screw up. Maybe the company, you know, mm. they kind of ran out of money. Just they like, left. There was poor yeah. communication, and then of course they themselves leave the campsite. Yes, yeah. So even if somebody comes back looking for them, they're not there anymore right. because they've decided they mm. need to take matters in their own hands and, and find their way out. I mean, I I have a very poor spatial perception, so I don't know how hard it would be to find three people once they started, you know, right. wandering yeah, off track yeah, in, the, sure. in the north woods of Wisconsin or Minnesota or wherever they are. Like, it's hard to believe that there wouldn't be a massive search and rescue effort because even if yeah. there was miscommunication for a couple of days, sooner mm. or later, someone at the production company or the TV, right. you know, a, a station is going to say, what about the six people or the five yeah, people that we left out there? I don't think would leave there? it as long as, as no. it was... Like, she alludes to the fact that, well, yes, they did leave the site so maybe but they didn't they they stayed for they stayed a while for quite some time yeah and, so there would have been you know time. and i also find it hard to believe that you know it, again we all have sort of question marks around the ethics of these reality shows and yeah you know people like to say oh yeah well sure people would just leave them there but i just find it hard to believe that it wouldn't be one person like you find out that ashley had sort of some connections to you know the one of the crew members right mara, mara does, does as well yeah. i mean if you had if you were in the sh in the position of the of the crew member and you had an emotional connection or a friendship or whatever you would want to call it to that person. I find it hard to believe. And I know the guy that Murrah has a connection with leaves her the gone. Yeah. And, but I it's just find like, it hard to believe why why you wouldn't go and say, like, listen, this is what's happening. Shit's going down. Yeah. Our camp is over there. Why you wouldn't leave your food and your tents and stuff yeah. for Like something. Like, that was the thing that I struggled with the most mm -hmm. was that... 
everybody involved in this would be so non-human that they would leave these Just people walk away to their defenses. Not, yeah, like why would not one person go back and say, yeah. you know, I've got to call this in and say, yeah. send out search and rescue for these people. Uh, yeah, I think... Because they had, fla you know, they yeah. were sending out flares, they had the fire, like within a matter of days, somebody should have been looking for this. Yes. Even if that person who had the twinge of conscience, you know, got out to civilization and went, you know what, shit, there's like people left in there. They mm -hmm. don't know what's going on. You would call 911, like within, I think you would. And I, I, I yeah. would find it hard to believe that there was an entire crew of people that not one who person were so would do morally, that. you know, yeah. bereft or whatever that they just wouldn't yeah. do I that. think there's an implication that there's some confusion and maybe some people think they've been gotten out and don't realize right. that there's, it's kind right. of like, you know, death on the ice situation where each sure. captain thinks they're on the other ship. Right. But of course, you know, um, yeah, you'd think somebody would have would have been more of a whistleblower about it. I think Blair Braverman is so interested in telling the story about right. survival that she is not particularly interested in answering a lot of these questions about right. what's going on behind the scenes. But I know, and I was fine with it, but I know from reading reviews online that a lot of people find that really frustrating in this book, that it's, it is unrealistic that they would be completely abandoned and there wouldn't be mm -hmm. within a couple of days somebody in searching for them. Uh, there is, yeah, in the, in the sort of denouement of the novel, there is a reference to many lawsuits and settlements, which <laughs> of course there would be if, if something like that happened in real life. Mm. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a real suspension of disbelief. And I mean, I found, you know, the ending of Wish You Were Here real suspension sure. of disbelief, too, that she's going to go back there, and this guy who is maybe the same guy from her dream relationship is going to be there. <laughs> sure. uh, that's, you yeah. know, I think to tell the story you want to tell, sometimes you do have right. to push people's suspension of disbelief. Mm. But you got to expect that some readers will push back yeah. against that too yeah. yeah yeah but that being said i mean you know i did very much enjoy enjoy it um you know i i, I found a lot of the questions that she asked at the beginning i think you know i was i was happy with how she sort of quote unquote answered them mm -hmm. um yeah i thought it was i thought it was a good read yeah and that's what i thought too despite the initial shock of the uh, the, the big twist in which you were here ultimately i was really glad i read it uh and i think both of them yeah are really they are definitely pandemic novels uh and really show having been written in that time period and they are both i think exploring women at that kind of crux point of their lives of saying what kind of life am I going to have from mm -hmm. here on in? And maybe Diana and Mara are put into extreme situations that most of us would not be, uh, but on a maybe smaller scale, everybody's mm -hmm. got to do that work of finding out, mm -hmm. you know, who who am I and how do I survive? Yeah. 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 Or if you don't do it, then things are going to go badly later on. <laughs> You're going to have a horrible <laughs> midlife crisis. <laughs> the other thing I got to say, too, and we sure here that I think is really great is now that we are three years into the COVID-19 pandemic and most people are not taking it that seriously anymore and obviously mm. the variants we have now are less severe than original flavor COVID um, you know there's a lot of downplaying it and sort of like oh it's you know it's no worse than a cold or the flu or whatever mm -hmm. uh, and for lots of people it isn't you know when I had COVID it was no worse it wasn't as bad as the worst flu I'd ever had but I think what this book really does well is recreate that atmosphere of those first months of original COVID mm -hmm. and especially in New York City and in the yeah. hospitals and how, no, this is not just 
elderly and immunocompromised as though those people are dispensable, which is a whole other thing I could right. I could I could rant about. But it was, you know, young and healthy people like Diana in this novel getting it and either dying or almost dying and these overworked hospitals and uh, you know, the the bodies piling up right. and just all of that that nightmare that I think collectively we have really done a big uh, cultural forgetting of. Yeah, like Finn's Finn's emails were so powerful. Yes. Because, you know, that was what it was like. And that's one of the things, again, I know Jody Pico has done that research. Yes, yeah. And so that, his emails describing, you know, what the situation was like, how, how many people they were losing, how hard it was to find a way to treat people. Um, you know, how they had to make those really difficult choices mm -hmm. about treating people, uh, you know, how exhausting it was, how there was so such an inhuman demand on their humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and even, you know, like even people sort of not believing that this was real, you know, and, and how that impacted healthcare workers like the you know and we we've all heard some of those stories but i just felt like it was so powerfully conveyed mm -hmm, in yeah. this book again like you said like this is a book that people should be required to read if they start to forget what it was like yes i mean yeah. you know it was it was horrible and and i remember you know hearing those stories from places like you know new york and just thinking oh my goodness you know like um so yeah so i i felt that I, I feel that this is a really important novel because it does talk about that real experience mm -hmm. and not 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 necessarily just Diana's, but you know and and from from Diana's perspective, you know what it was like to recover from COVID. Yeah, how yeah, weak that she was, really how long, slow yeah, process of and, recovery. And yeah, and just and again, like people forgetting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you had a mild case of COVID, I mean, I had COVID. I was really, really sick, but I wasn't. It didn't take me, you know, weeks to yeah, be able to go to yeah. the bathroom by myself. Like, but just to be able to remember that, you know, this, this is and was a very serious serious disease yeah and so yeah so i think it's important for that reason yeah i do i mm. definitely do um obviously you would recommend this book to people i think oh, we yes. both would uh and as a jody pico fan what are some uh, give me a couple of other top <laughs> recommendations of hers uh Small Great Things is my favorite. This Wish You Were Here is my second favorite mm -hmm. Jody Pico book. Small Great Things is my absolute favorite. Okay. It is about a black nurse, a young couple who are white supremacists, mm. and um, the nurse's lawyer. Mm. Because the white supremacist couple have a baby. They insist that the black nurse not be present for the birth, but something happens and she does have to step in. The baby dies and uh, the nurse is charged with murder by this couple. Oh, wow. And the most interesting thing about it is that Jody Pico tells it from the perspective of the nurse and from the, from, from the perspective of her public defender lawyers, female. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of a personal connection. Yeah. But she also tells it from the perspective of the the husband of the white supremacist couple, this young man, and how that happened. Like, how he, he came became that person, to have yeah. those views. That and must be it's such just, a hard perspective to write oh from. My goodness, oh, my goodness. It is yeah. a book that I go back and try to read every year because it's so powerful. And 
And I think she wrote that book to try to help people get some perspective around those types of issues, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I also loved Mad Honey, which is her most recent one. And again, in every Joe DiPico book, there is a twist that's going to make <laughs> you go, oh. um, and I, I do find them, you know, plausible. Her productivity is stunning. Like she must, <laughs> she must put out a book, like almost she's, every year. She's incredible. She's so, but Mad Honey is, yeah. is her most recent one, and it is it is really incredible. It's it's really good, and you know she has this ability to take things like in Mad Honey, the main character, the mother is uh, as a beekeeper, mm -hmm. and so she has this ability to take these things that you don't know a lot about. She does enough research that she can explain what it is, so you really feel like. It's, it's plausible that this person does this thing mm -hmm. or whatever. But she also finds a way to connect that to the actual story, like the yeah, theme of yeah. the story. It does, so it doesn't just feel like tacked, a bunch of tacked right. on research, and it's yeah, just, which yeah, is it's, so good. It's really skillful how she mm. does that. So those are two recommendations. Definitely. I those. I, I definitely want to check out Small Great Things particularly. Mm. I would recommend Blair Braverman's yeah. other books, although there are not nearly as many of them. She, uh, she's, uh, you know what I'd recommend? Her book, Dogs on the Trail, because it's it's mostly photos of her sled dogs, and it's okay, such a beautiful book. Okay, you know that I'm there. Oh, you would love Dogs on the Trail. And <laughs> And just Blair Braverman's uh, Twitter and Patreon and her whole online mm -hmm. presence with you, you really get to know her dogs and their personalities. And you know They're that's, so great. That's and my I know, thing for sure. yeah. And and you would find just like I'm looking at uh, Blair's pictures of her dogs. Emma and I will often often go through them and be like, oh, that one looks like she's related to Gal. And you would probably have <laughs> the same experience with with your dogs yes. because we. Lori and I both have dogs that are, uh, are yours pure huskies or are they husky mixes? I think, I think my, my older dog Aspen is, if she's not pure husky, she's pretty close to it. Mm -hmm. And my little dog, they're both rescues from Nain, um, our little one Asha, she's two years old and she's, you know, 35 pounds. She has all the husky attitude. She's just like a mini husky. She has she has quite a few of the physical features, but she also there's an awful lot of some other stuff yeah, in there. Yeah, and that's what Gal is like too. But she's she like, has a hundred and fifty percent of the. the so attitude. there's two kinds of huskies. There's kind of laid back, you know, sort of zenish, and then there's the high drama super diva huskies, <laughs> and Asha is Asha the latter. Is that. And Gal is definitely the laid back kind. And so is Asha. Very much the laid back kind. Um, I guess yeah. our other recommendation. I would love to read more fiction from. Blair Braver. Yes, I really hope she. Well, I think this this novel has done pretty well. So mm -hmm. when a, when a nonfiction writer steps into writing fiction, if the book does well, you all can always sort of hope that there will be more. So mm -hmm. I, I hope. But I mean, she's doing so many things, including raising and <laughs> racing sled dogs. She may not have the focus of being able to put books out quite as often as Jody Pico. Uh, but uh, yeah, I will. Uh, as always, I will post um, in the show notes uh, links to not just the books we talked about, but the others that came up and were recommended. And uh, I'll post a link to uh, Blair Braverman's page so you can see her dog pictures. <laughs> and I'll post a link to the homepage of the Happy Valley Goose Bay SPCA Yay! where Lori and I both adopted our, uh, our mm. northern dogs and are such fans of. Um, I think we're good to wrap up. Nothing yeah. else you wanted to say that's nope. been left out? Well, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. It's a pleasure. Thanks. That wraps up my conversation with Lori Savory about the book's Small Game by Blair Braverman and Wish You Were Here by Jody Pico. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Hope that you are interested in checking these books out. And if you go, as always, to my website, TrudyMorganCole.com, you will see a link to the Shelf Esteem podcast. If you click that, you can choose the show notes for today's episode, and that will take you to the place where I post all the books that we talked about, other media that we talked about, basically links to anything that came up in the podcast that you might be like, oh, I want to check that out. And since we ended up at the 
end talking so much about our dogs, I'll, as bonus content, post pictures of my dog, Gal, and Lori's dogs, Asha and Aspen. I'll be back next month with another podcast guest doing another book swap. Until then, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.